I dare you to find a big company out there that doesn't say that customer service, being customer-centric, world-class customer service, treating their customers well, and so on and so forth ad nauseum is their highest priority. They all say it, and you know what? They all believe it. But if it's true, if customer service is the first, biggest, and most important thing that companies prioritize, why do so many of us have bad experiences so regularly? Mostly it's because customer service is a lot easier to talk about than to do. I mean, it only takes nine seconds to type, we take customer service very seriously, but providing great customer service over a period of months or years takes consistent ongoing effort. And that's extremely difficult. Challenging, but possible. And that's what this episode of the Spin Sucks podcast is all about. If you're a communications pro who works hard, doesn't compromise quality, and gets the job done, welcome home. We'll share our tips, tricks, and stories, and together we will change the face of PR. Spin sucks, but we don't. With the Spin Sucks podcast, here's Jenny Dietrich. You've heard the horror stories about miserable customer service. You may even have experienced it. Scratch at that. You probably definitely, most definitely have. And you might wonder... How can a company this big, this reputable, this resourced screw up so badly? I had an experience just last week. There are a bunch of new homes going up in my neighborhood. It kind of makes me sad. My house was built in 1891 and still has the original millwork and hardwood floors. It has a ton of character and is completely different from every other house. But the developers are buying the land from our neighbors, knocking down their century-old homes, and building these $5 million monstrosities that all look exactly the same. Because of all the building going on, there are workers in and out of our alley, which we share with these McMansions all day long, and I work from home. For the most part, they don't bother me and are super respectful if I need them to move so I can, you know, get in and out of my driveway that they're blocking. But last week, last week was a doozy. Because we also live four blocks from Wrigley Field, we sell our parking spot for every game. And last Monday, the Cubs were in town and had an afternoon game. I had sold the spot, which I didn't think would be an issue, but it so happened that AT&T was in front of our driveway, not one of the builders, and they were completely blocking our spot. I went out there and explained that I'd have someone wanting to park there at noon and ask them if they could move. They gave me this song and dance about how they were wired up and they couldn't move, even though they'd made it impossible for me to get in and out of my, you know, my own driveway, my driveway that I own, my driveway. (laughs) So I called the 800 number on the back of their truck, and I got the same song and dance. Then I asked to speak to a supervisor and made no progress. Then I tweeted their customer service and got the DM us and we're happy to help you line. That never went anywhere either. And in the meantime, our parking customer showed up and wanted to park, of course. AT&T wouldn't move. I ended up having to refund the customer and having to help them find another parking spot at the last minute, which if you've ever been anywhere near Wrigley Field at game time, is pretty impossible. And then I called the police, who eventually made AT&T move. What started out as a simple request, hey, could you move your truck at noon so we can park in our driveway, ended up being an hours-long ordeal, all because their customer service, in person, on the phone, and online was plain old awful. I just want to park in my own freaking driveway. But you never do that, right? Your customers are perpetually happy, overwhelmed with the quality of your service in every interaction and racing to tell all their friends, colleagues, and old high school buddies about how great you are, right? (laughs) Of course, that's not the case. Everyone makes mistakes, and sometimes we do give bad customer service. 
Making that the exception rather than the rule is what we're aiming for. And I have five ways you can maintain the highest possible service over time without having to spend every waking moment doing so. Let's do this. All too often, how we actually serve our customers is on the priority list after way, way too many other things. So much is spent on getting new clients that we forget about how valuable keeping the ones we have is and how far less expensive it is to keep current clients than to bring on new ones. If a business is to grow, you can't lose customers faster than you're bringing in new ones. It'll put you on a treadmill you can't get off of, so keeping customers happy and serving them to the best of your ability should be at the very top of your list. The second one is have boundaries. It may seem a little counterintuitive. Boundaries, in this case, are the service standards you agree to and maintain. If your offices are closed in the evenings and on weekends, you shouldn't answer emails or phone calls outside of those times. If you agree to a certain number of deliverables, provide that number of deliverables and not more. If you have a certain amount of time earmarked for meetings and direct communication, that's the amount of time you should spend on it. This adds to customer service in three ways. Number one, it means there's clarity about what you're doing, when you're doing it, and why. Everyone likes clarity. Number two, it requires that your clients or customers respect your time and boundaries, and it's much easier to be nice to someone who respects your time. And number three, it preserves the energy and bandwidth of the team so they can devote their full attention to delivering great service during the times that you've set the boundaries. So have boundaries. The third tip is to be consistent in what you're communicating and how. The communications industry, like most, has its own vocabulary. And companies within this industry have their own terms and definitions for different concepts. Companies also have their own ways of dealing with questions, concerns, collaboration, and feedback. Can you think of anything more irritating than not knowing how to get support for an issue you're having with a service provider? You know, like AT&T, we've all experienced that for sure in the telecom industry. <laughs> it's infuriating. And that kind of irritation sticks around and gets talked about a lot. Often, our customers aren't operating at our level of industry jargon. Nor should they. It can get nuanced and they have other priorities and their own industry jargon, to be honest. But that means it's on you as the service provider or another kind of expert to make sure that you're clear and that you're consistent in terms of how your clients are supposed to interact and the words you're using to describe what you're talking about. I'm on the board of an organization that provides very specific marketing services. I know what they do and they're very, very good at what they do. But they have a hard time talking about what they do that makes sense to the general business audience. We've worked tirelessly to message them appropriately, but sometimes their own vocabulary gets in the way. Earlier this year, they were almost to the point of getting a signature for work with a Fortune 10 company. They sent their agreement and scope of work, and they haven't heard from them again. It's been three months and crickets. As we were dissecting what could have happened, I asked to see what they sent the company. The agreement was fine and pretty standard, but the scope of work was so convoluted and full of jargon, not even I knew what they were going to do for the company. I read it three times to try to figure out what the work product and deliverables would be, but I still couldn't make sense of it. And if I couldn't do it in three tries, there is no way the prospect would. One of the best things to remember is this. You have the curse of knowledge. That means you are so close to what you do that you forget not everyone has the same level of knowledge or really any level of knowledge. I always like to use the grandmother test. 
If I can explain it to my grandmother and she'll understand it, I can send it to the client or prospect. It's a good rule of thumb to remember. The number four tip is to get your team involved. Making sure that your team understands everything you're doing to make customer service a priority is critical. If you have team members, especially client-facing ones who don't understand the boundaries, the communication standards, and the ultimate goal of the service you provide, they're not going to do a good job of keeping clients happy, and it won't be their fault. Team members who are confused about what to do in a given situation have received mixed messages or left to manage difficult situations without all the information or resources they need, they can't provide the level of service they want to. Laura Petrolino hit the nail on the head when she talked about the very, very friendly telecom support people she connected with who were totally unable to answer her questions or help her. You can read more about that in the blog post about customer-centric culture that we've linked to in the show notes. Again, telecom industry. They're crushing it with customer service, aren't they? (laughs) It's so frustrating to have an experience like that as a customer. And you know what? It sucks for the team members too. Do regular trainings with your team on how they should be serving their customers. And even more importantly, ask your team what support they need to do the best job possible. If they're frontline, they probably know better than you do what the recurring issues are and how to provide delight instead of just good service. And then the fifth tip is to be proactive with reaching out. If you're doing everything I've talked about so far, then you're well, well ahead of the pack when it comes to making your client service top notch. And hopefully you have most of it running on autopilot, leaving you with plenty of free time to actually read the entire Game of Thrones series, right? Well, you could, or you could spend some of that time dialing things up to 11. What's one of the biggest complaints that people have about the vendors, service providers, and companies they use? It's a lack of personal attention. That's something that can be easily fixed. Just like we recommend executives leave their desks and walk around the office or the manufacturing floor, the same goes for reaching out to customers. It doesn't have to be every customer and it doesn't have to be all the time, but as Tony Shea talked about in Delivering Happiness, the leader reaching out to a handful of clients every month is going to bump the personal attention level up about 10 notches every time. Every week, you or your executive should set aside time to sit in on meetings or watch a recording, check in with the frontline team, and contact customers directly. That personal touch keeps everyone in the loop about what's working, what isn't, and how your work is perceived. So there you have it. Five ways to add a little magic to your customer service. Sadly, none of them are actually magic in the literal sense of the word, but when you execute each of them, your customers are happy. It feels a bit magical. If you've had an amazing experience with a company, let them know. It's always good to get some positive feedback. And let us know too. In the Spin Sucks community, we're always interested in hearing about what other people are doing well so we can provide our listeners and our readers up-to-date information on what works and what doesn't. Join us at spinsucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. That's spinsucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. I'll see you there. If you're ready to change the face of PR, make sure you subscribe to the Spin Sucks podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review. 